Good evening. Welcome to those of you that are on Facebook Live. You'll see that we have the microphone on this week. Uh, for those of you that were on Facebook Live last week and saw me talking but didn't hear me talking, you only missed the introduction, which I might reveal a little bit tonight uh, as we get into our second part of Strong and Weak Believers in Unity. This one's called Building Up One Another Without Offending. Let's read uh, verses 13 of Romans chapter 14, verse 13 through 23. Follow along as I read. Therefore, let us no longer criticize one another. Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or a pitfall in your brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one, it is unclean. For if, you, uh, if your brother is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy that one uh, Christ died for by what you eat. Therefore, do not let your good be slandered, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, we must pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Do not tear down God's work because of food. Everything is clean. But it is wrong for a man to cause stumbling by what he eats. It is a noble thing not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything that makes your brother stumble. Do you have a conviction? Keep it to yourself before God. The man who does not condemn himself by what he approves is blessed. But whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats because he is eating because his eating is not from a conviction and everything that is not from a conviction is sin let's pray father once again we thank you for this opportunity to open your word I would ask lord that you might uh, strengthen my voice and give grace to the coughing uh, so we can get through this and uh, lord above and beyond that ask that you would uh, open our ears knowing that this is probably one of the biggest areas of conflict between believers, areas where one person comes to one conclusion and another person comes to another. I would ask, Lord, that we might be able to live at peace and uh, demonstrate love to one another in a way that the world sees that uh, love that we have for each other and for you. Thank you again for this opportunity. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Okay, uh, last week uh, our friends online didn't get to hear the introduction. Uh, so uh, he, basically here's how I started. First of all, Paul says in both 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 and chapter 10, verse 23, that all things are lawful to me. Not all things are necessary, beneficial, expedient, depending on the version you're looking at, but all things are lawful for me. One says, I will not uh, do something that brings me under its power. And another one says that it needs to be edifying. So my first question was, what are the all things that are lawful? And we, we have a tendency uh, as Christians to say it in a spiritual way. Uh, Sheila answered correctly those things that are okay according to the will of God. Okay, yeah, but that doesn't really put it on the plate where I understand because will of God, wow, what's that? Um, a lot of different ideas about the will of God too. 
But when we understand that God gives his moral law to let us know, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, do this, do that, those things are not in the picture. After that, there's all kinds of things that God doesn't speak to. Where in the Bible does it say a church uh, should have Awana? Sunday school. Where in the Bible does it say you shouldn't have a TV? See what I'm saying? There's a lot of areas that the Bible doesn't cover. Now, it covers everything that's necessary for life and godliness. So in principle, you're going to be able to talk to every one of those subjects. uh, And the thing is, is you might come to different conclusions. Some people, um, well, and that's where I moved on to the makeup of the church. Within every church, you're going to find older, hopefully more mature Christians and still teachable Uh, You may also find people that have been saved for a long time, but they're satisfied with the status quo. They're not really growing. Then your next batch of people in the church are going to be your more newly converted people. And uh, hopefully they are growing and teachable. Uh, Just because they're newly saved doesn't mean they're teachable. They may be hanging on to all kinds of things that uh, previous uh, church beliefs, that kind of thing. Uh, Lynn is uh, working with a lady right now that uh, comes from a Catholic background, and uh, so therefore there's a lot of Mariology that has to be overcome in her thinking. Uh, She also buys into this idea that, you know, you have to forgive yourself. And and every now and again we hear that kind of thing, and please understand something. Nowhere in the Bible are you going to find the concept that you need to forgive yourself. That basically says you are responsible to you for your sin. Now, I don't know about you, but at the judgment seat of Al, no, at the judgment seat of Christ, he is the only one I have to worry about. And what does he say? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. When we uh, repent, if you will, turn to Christ, our sins are taken care of. And if that's the case, then... There's no you forgiving you, okay? So she is a new Christian, mostly teachable, but she's still hung up on her understanding of certain issues and maybe some past sins. Uh, A third category of people that you might find in the church is unsaved people. Now, with that unsaved group, you may find people that come in because they're quote-unquote searching. I even had that in italics on the outline because no one searches for God. The Bible tells us that clearly. So if they are searching, it's obvious that God has done something in them to get them to search. Um, And therefore, they're normally willing to listen, uh, but you may also have people that have been in the church for years. They have conformed externally to what we say we believe, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, but they may be deluded into thinking that they're okay. And someone might have a problem with that, but let me tell you, I'm not sure if pastor will verify this from Calvary Bible College, but when I went to Bible College, I was amazed at how many kids grew up in the church that got saved at Bible College. It's kind of like you're supposed to get saved and then go to Bible College, Uh, But somewhere in a rush, they kind of figured, you know, I never really did change. Now, do I know that they got saved at Bible college or that was just another one of those decisions that they needed to take that step? I don't know. 
it's not really that important. I just know that you can be in the church, say you believe all the right things, and intellectually agree with all those things and still be lost. How do I know? Well, have you ever seen the Left Behind movie? All those people that show up at church after the rapture? They all thought, boy, if that's what I'm basing it on. (laughs) No, I understand that among the wheat, there's always going to be tares, okay? Uh, That kind of thing. So that was my introduction last week, uh, because when we get to Romans 14, we're talking about disputable items, where we may come to a different conclusion, and depending on where you are in your spiritual walk, you may feel free to do something someone else may not. And so you're not to be holding uh, uh, the other person in judgment or contempt. And that brings us to this second part, build up one another without offending. Letter A on your outline, don't cause your brother to stumble. Now, I'll be honest with you, uh, there's a lot, there's a whole chapter in 1 Corinthians that deals with this issue of causing a, a weaker brother to stumble. Again, when we're going to define weaker and stronger, a stronger brother is someone who's been saved a little bit longer. They're understanding the liberty they have in Christ Jesus. Uh, Notice verse 14 in, in chapter 14 here. He says, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Okay? Paul is recognizing he has liberty in a lot of ways when it comes to eating bacon. Uh, I'm not sure Paul would have eaten bacon, but I have the liberty to do so, right? (laughs) Uh, But he he goes on to say here, still to the one who considers a thing to be unclean, if you're looking at the Old Testament and you're thinking, well, God must have had some reason not to eat pig, so I'm not going to eat bacon. I'm sorry for you. I'll try not to eat in front of you, (laughs) that kind of a thing. Uh, But that's the idea there. That person shouldn't eat the bacon. So uh, when we're talking about the stronger brother, we're talking about someone that has matured and they understand they have liberty uh, in an awful lot of these areas. A weaker brother is not someone who's been in the church for 25 years and doesn't like the drums. A weaker brother doesn't understand the liberty that they have in Christ Jesus. They may associate the drums with something that they used to do in their uh, previous life, in uh, their form of worship or something like that. And therefore, uh, they might not want to be in a church where there's drums. Okay? Uh, that's the difference. A lot of times, some people that have been in church for a long time, they, they want to talk about being offended by something that they shouldn't be offended by. Uh, you know, that kind of a thing. So let's uh, move on here. Notice he starts out with, therefore, uh, which tells you he's making a conclusion from verses 10 through 12. Uh, He's basically saying here that God alone has the authority to judge. Therefore, let us not judge one, uh, one another anymore. That's basically what verses 1 through 12 was dealing with. Uh, The stronger holding the weaker in contempt, the weaker judging the stronger. I was out to lunch today with a couple from the church here and sharing our testimonies and things like that. And uh, the lady said, you know, when I first got saved, uh, you know, you're a young Christian and you're looking at the Word of God and then you're looking out and you're seeing how that Christian's sinning, that Christian's sinning, that Christian's sinning. It's very easy to go through. Well, I think it's probably a normal part of spiritual growth where you're learning the Word of God and then you're seeing where it seems like everybody's failing. 
because you're hung up on the rules instead of understanding grace, because we all do fail. So let us not judge one another anymore. The word judge here, it basically means an unloving attitude, contemptuous superiority, self-righteousness. This is where Matthew 7, 1 to 5 comes in. Uh, Most unbelievers can quote the first verse to some measure. Judge not that ye be not judged. Right? Uh, For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. Or why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So that's the unloving attitude, contemptuous superiority, self-righteousness concept of judging. The word judge here is crino, to distinguish, decide mentally or judicially, to try, condemn, punish, avenge, conclude, etc., as you can see here on the notes. It is used two times in verse 13 here. The first time carries a negative idea of condemnation or denunciation. When it says, let us not judge one another anymore, stop condemning or denouncing your brother over something that is disputable. That's basically what it's saying. The second time that it's used is translated resolve, and it carries the idea of to determine or to make a careful decision with no negative connotation. For those that are watching online, I'm uh, having a real hard time uh, with my throat, so you'll see me do that from time to time. Letter C, but rather resolve this. That's the second uh, judge word there, crino. Um, First of all, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 9 says, but beware lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. Uh, Verse 13 says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Now, I have struggled with this verse for I don't know how long, because any brother who thinks that you shouldn't eat meat, well, there's got to be something wrong with him, right? That's that contemptuous uh, denouncing (laughs) judgment. Um, It is interesting when you consider Paul has said in this chapter that eating meat that's been offered to an idol is just not a big deal. But in love for the weaker brother who might be freed by your example to do something that ultimately his conscience gets violated, in love for that brother, he's willing to know. As long as that's going to be an issue for him, I'm not going to do it. And that's where we get this idea that this is really not about the thing you have liberty to do, but love for the brethren, okay? And then uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, 32. Therefore, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God and give no offense either to the Jew or to the Greek or to the church of God. So that's uh, the whole idea there as far as a resolve not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in your brother's way. It carries the idea of stumbling into sin. 
So when we talk about them stumbling, we are talking about they ultimately do something that their conscience uh, lets them know, nope, you can't do that, okay? Or not being sensitive to areas of weakness in fellow believers. Now, if you're going to do something and you have to be sure that you're not going to cause your weaker brother to stumble, in other words, you're going to be sensitive to areas of weakness in your fellow believers, what does that say about your relationship with your fellow believers? Well, in order to be sensitive about a weakness in their life, what does that tell you about their relationship? When you get together, all you talk about is the blues, whether or not they just really suck this year, or if it's, uh, you know, they just can't seem to put it together. It's not superficial if you're recognizing they have a weakness in this area. It's got some depth, okay? Because we have a tendency to think that fellowship means, there's got to be food, of course, but then you're going to talk about, well, right now, the Eagles just beat um, San Francisco 31-7. to Right now, the Chiefs are playing the Bengals. Oh, I'm so excited. Super Bowl's in a couple weeks. No, that's not fellowship. It's not that you can't talk about that stuff, but your relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ goes so much deeper. And how are you going to encourage one another while it's called today? Or don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but encourage one another and so much the more while you see the day approaching. See, that's what Paul is talking about here. He's got that kind of relationship where he knows this brother has a hard time with this area. Uh, we were... I was dealing with a, a man in the church, and we were looking up a, a song on YouTube uh, so we could examine the words and stuff like that. And we allowed it to play all the way through. And you know if, about YouTube, it automatically goes to a next video. It doesn't necessarily... Now, it may put up two choices, but it's going to pick one if you don't. Well, when the song was done, we were talking about the song, and all of a sudden, next video came up. And let's just say the next video was... Um, a little bit of a sensual picture came up. It wasn't pornography or anything like that. Please don't get any ideas. But the picture was sensual. And as soon as I saw it, I reached over there and clicked and got off of that thing uh, because I know this brother. He has a hard time. Guess what he did? He called me back the next day and said, I just want to make sure you saw that picture, right? And I said, yeah, I'm the one that turned it off. He goes, that didn't cause any problems for you, did it? I said, thank you for being concerned about that, but no, it wasn't an issue for me. But I knew it might be an issue for you, and I'm, I'm sorry it happened. Uh, so, again, our relationship is deeper than whether or not the Blues are winning. Okay? So, uh, rather resolve to do this. Uh, be sensitive enough to know the areas of weakness in fellow believers. Letter B, do not grieve your brother, verses 14 and 15. The truth about non-sinful things for the strong. Letter A, I know that there is nothing unclean in and of itself. Uh, again, 1 Corinthians 6.12, all things are lawful for me, 
but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. 1 Corinthians 10.23, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. So uh, understanding from Paul's perspective, a lot of things out there are totally, yeah, you can do them. Now, notice the second phrase, though. Not all things are helpful. Yeah, you can watch TV for eight hours a day, but it's probably not going to help your spiritual walk. It's probably not going to edify you. It might bring you under its power. Uh, Those are things you have to take into consideration. So um, getting back to the concept of things being clean, as we talked last week, Jesus taught... It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a man. Uh, in Matthew fifteen eleven fifteen seventeen, do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? Uh, Mark seven fifteen, there is nothing that enters a man from the outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile him. Verse nineteen, because it does not enter his heart but his stomach is eliminated, thus purifying, notice, thus purifying all foods. Now, obviously, uh, we're dealing with the concept of foods there, as this chapter has. Some people eat meat, some people only eat vegetables. Uh, It is not just talking about food. That's an example of something that was an issue in the first century. Why? Because you have Jews, they have the law. They have all of these rules about food. You have the Gentiles, man, they pagans. They've been worshiping false gods and, and getting a good deal at the butcher shop underneath. Okay? So you have these people can't eat a lot of things. These people that can could be a problem for them. But they also may have come out of that worship where, yeah, I don't want to be participating in that kind of thing. So the next brother, who doesn't have any problem with it. So, yeah, food is the issue that we talk about a lot here, but it applies to a lot of the things that fall into that. All things are lawful. Letter B. Uh, Paul goes on to say, oh, uh, let me uh, uh, do what Paul understood. Verse 14, we've already read. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 25 Oh, let me see. Where is it hiding on me here? Oh, I must not have put that. Oh, there it is. Uh, Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. 1 Timothy uh, 4, 4 and 5. For every creature of God is good. Nothing is to be refused. That would include liver, uh, sushi, I'm picking on Dave over here because I know he doesn't care for fish. And Pastor was talking about all this fish we're going to eat during the millennium. (laughs) Uh, But uh, um, ask no questions for conscience sake. Every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. Titus 1.15, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. So uh, that is what Paul taught about those things, uh, the truth about non-sinful things. He goes on to say, I am convinced by the Lord Jesus. Now, notice this is not Paul's personal opinion. He had grown in maturity to the point where, well, here's my opinion on, no, no, no. I am convinced by the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're talking about divine revelation. And again, you see, we have Matthew, Mark, those uh, verses I've already read for you. But Acts 10, 15, And a voice spoke to him again the second time, 
what God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now, God is speaking to uh, Peter at the time, but obviously Peter and Paul would have talked somewhere in the rush, and so he knows these things. All right, so how about the weak conscience? Well, 1 Corinthians 8, 4-7 says, Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there are no other gods but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, excuse me, Excuse me. Sorry about that. Uh, yet for us there is one God and Father, of whom are all things. And we for him, the one Lord Jesus Christ, uh, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some, with consciousness of an idol, until now, eat it uh, as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak, is defiled. So again, you might go to the uh, meat market that is right behind the uh, idolatry temple there. You might get a good deal on the meat. And uh, if you're strong in the Lord, you understand the liberty that you have. So what? It's meat. Okay, the idol is, it's false. It's not real. Not a big deal. But for the person that might have come out of that idolatry, now he looks at that meat that's been offered to an idol. If he were to eat it, he might feel as though he's participating in that idolatry again. Instead of knowing, it says, not all have this knowledge. Okay? So uh, we, we need to be concerned about his conscience. Notice, uh, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Um, when it comes to food, for me, uh, I, I don't mind the liver. Uh, I don't mind the heart. Uh, tripe. No, it tastes like I'm eating a sponge. Uh, it's unclean, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> okay. Um, and and I, I think I'm a mature Christian, but uh, no, I, that, I just don't like that stuff. Letter B, violating one's conscience. Now, as much as I may joke about tripe, uh, th- this is a pretty serious topic. Throughout Scripture, um, you're going to, I mean, throughout the New Testament especially, you're going to see an awful lot said about having a clear conscience, the necessity of a clear conscience. So notice, number one, persistence in violating the conscience sears it. In 1 Timothy 4, 2, it says, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. You know, the first time you do something that you know is wrong, you feel bad about it. But... And I know some people don't like hearing this, but since the Bible says it, I feel as though it's free to be said. Sin is pleasurable. So now the temptation comes along again, and what happens? You know it's wrong, and you do it because it's pleasurable. And your conscience still makes a little bit of a fuss, but it's not as loud as the last time. And then the temptation comes along again, and before you know it, you're not even hearing your conscience anymore. You may still know that it's wrong, but you're looking at it saying, it's really not causing me any harm. I mean, why would God say this was wrong? 
that's the idea here. Now, in 1 Timothy 4, 2, he's obviously talking about someone who is an unbeliever, but it's what happens when you violate your conscience over and over and over again. So uh, notice number two, violation by others. In other words, your conscience is violated by another person. It says here, yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, the word grieved here is lupeo. It means to distress, to be sad, to cause grief, grieve, to be in heaviness, to be sorrowful, to make sorry. It is used of Peter when he was confronted by Jesus in John twenty-one seventeen. Jesus has come to Peter. Peter had denied the Lord three times. And so he goes, Peter, do you love me? Three times. Now, the first two times he said, do you agape the third time he says, do you phileo? Because Peter kept on responding, yes, Lord, I, I phileo you. I have brotherly love towards you. I have some affection towards you. And he finally says, okay, do you have phileo for me? A brotherly affection. So he says to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you phileo me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time using phileo, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I have brotherly kindness towards you. And Jesus said to him, that's not going to get you out of it. Feed my sheep. He, he didn't say that that's not going to get you out of it, but, you know, feed my sheep. So Peter is grieved because uh, here he's kind of been called on the carpet a little bit. You know, you said you'd die for me. I told you you were going to deny me three times. Do you agape me? Uh I failed so bad, I couldn't say that. Okay, I have brotherly kindness towards you. That kind of a thing. And then called on the carpet for that. Well, I sure hope I can say that. I couldn't say agape anymore, but I hope I can say that. It's also used of uh, the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 4.30, which says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, it is interesting that um, verse 30 comes right after a couple of verses on the put off and put on of communication. Hmm. Now, any kind of sin that we do is going to be a grief to the Holy Spirit. But it is interesting that that verse is put right after communication because, once again, uh, the tongue has the power of life and death. Um, and when we use it improperly, uh, it grieves the Holy Spirit. Okay, um, notice, not understanding liberty, seeing a stronger believer do something, they could be emboldened to do it, and then violate their own conscience. Now, you might sit there and say, well, it sounds to me like it's their personal problem. Now, you might not say that, but I would. Okay, again, background and stuff like that. But for the most part, you know, if everybody just takes responsibility for them, their own selves, what kind of relationships are we supposed to have? Not one that is uncaring towards someone else. Uh, so uh, notice the top of the next page, the weaker one, holding the stronger to his own standard. This is the second way that the weaker one can stumble. And they're disappointed when they walk according, uh, when the stronger walks according to their standard. So if they see you doing something that they think is wrong, uh, they can also uh, stumble. Um, 
When I was a youth pastor here, I remember one young man got saved and uh, he was doing pretty good for a little while and then he got into that Pharisee stage where nobody lived to the Word of God. The funny thing is, is when people get to that stage and they start judging everybody, now here's the weaker brother. He doesn't understand grace completely yet. He doesn't understand the concepts of sanctification, progressive sanctification. And so he's holding everybody to that perfect standard. And guess what? Nobody's living up to it. What happens after that is they finally say, none of this is real, and they leave. They walk away. Now, thankfully, I think the Lord got a hold of his heart again a couple years down the road. Uh, But that's the, the kind of stumbling that we're talking about here. Okay, Now, we can talk about he was irresponsible in judging everybody else. I understand that. But everybody else wasn't worried about what was happening to a younger believer either. And number three there, the conclusion of that verse is, you are no longer walking in love. 1 Corinthians 8.11 says, And because of your knowledge shall the weaker brother perish for whom Christ died. (coughs) Sorry. I can talk just so long, and then it kind of gets irritated in there. So let her see. Don't destroy your brother. Do not destroy. The word there is apolumai, uh, to destroy fully, to perish, to lose, die, lose, mar, perish. It carries the idea of ruining, okay? Uh, I just gave you the example of that young man that walked away from the Lord. He, he was ruined for a little while. Uh, shipwrecked, if you will. Uh, Spiritual calamity that continues seriously affecting spiritual growth. I I can tell you, I was about six months old in the Lord when I was taught the doctrine of election. Now, at Word of Life Bible Institute, they had one teacher that believed in the doctrine of election, and the rest of them didn't. So it was one of those things that they kind of argued about in a funny, funny way, um, you know, put Marshall Wicks down because he believes in election, <laughs> that kind of thing. But uh, the reality was, is being a young believer and not understanding any of that stuff, I thought I had chosen. And th- there wasn't, I-, I don't feel as though a lot of people deal with the concepts of uh, election from a biblical perspective. They hang on to a system of thinking instead of what does the Bible teach? And uh, I think Pastor did a fantastic job a few years ago when he said, you choose within the parameters that God gives you. Now, within the parameters that God gives you also includes within the choices that you have made over and over and over again. If you're bent towards foolishness and you choose foolishness and you choose foolishness and you choose foolishness, guess what? Somewhere in the rush, you're going to choose within those parameters. Okay? And... uh, yeah, I did choose within the parameters that God gave me. Somewhere in the rush, he gave me a sensitive heart. I started searching and, you know, quotations around that. And then when I heard the gospel and it was made clear to me that, man, I'm a, a sinner on my way to hell, I, I got to at least escape that. I'm driving 22 miles uh, each way back and forth to church on a motorcycle in the middle of winter in Connecticut. <laughs> You know, God, please don't let me die until we get back to church. Um, And uh, so, yeah, I chose within the parameters that were set before me. Uh, But not, I didn't choose like, 
hey, God, get over here because I, I want to talk to you, <laughs> that kind of a thing. So, yeah, it was one of those things that kind of blew me away spiritually for a, a little while there. Um, but again, that was I don't blame them. It was just what happened. Now, the, uh, for the one for whom Christ died, consider what Christ says about offending little ones in Matthew 18, verses 1 to 6. It says, At that time the disciples came to him, saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as a little child, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it'll be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. And verse 14 goes on to say, Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Uh, so the word perish there, I believe, is the same one as uh, destroy up here, apolumai. And uh, so there, there is some application there. Very often when we see a story like that, we think of you know, a little cam man, Cameron uh, Osden or Lexi, and uh, offending that one. Well, what about a new believer that's an adult? They're little ones too, in the sense that they're like newborn babes. They need to desire the sincere milk of the word. They need to be cared for like a newborn babe. So they might fit into that also. Notice letter B. Newer believers that are spiritually devastated is a great offense to God. I go back to the young man that was in the youth group and for a few months was growing along spiritually and then Again, a normal stage of Christian um, maturation started looking at everybody from that pharisaical uh, position, and everyone was blowing it. And then there was spiritual devastation. Uh, that's an offense to God. And again, I'm not trying to call Edgemon out on the carpet. Um, I think sometimes as believers, we just aren't aware of the people that are around us and, and how what we think, say, believe, uh, might affect them. Okay, uh, le- letter D, don't forfeit your witness, verses 16 through 19. He says, therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. The good here, obviously, is going to be the thing that you are free to do. You're, you have liberty, okay? But if you're doing it without consideration to the weaker brother around you, then you ultimately are going to be doing bad. So Christian liberty is not for one's own benefit or selfish abuse. Again, 1 Corinthians 10, 31 and 32, you do all to the glory of God and you make sure you don't offend anybody, whether they're Jew, Gentile, or part of the church. Galatians 5, 13, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Uh, a few years back, there was a group of young people that felt as though um, you can have beer while you're studying the Bible. Now, can you? And you need to remember, all things are lawful, okay? God doesn't say you can't have a drink. He says you can't get drunk. The problem was, young people are so good at governing themselves, right? 
Yeah, they were getting drunk at their Bible study. Some churches have actually started up in breweries so that they can have their Christian liberty. Uh, Okay, probably not the best idea, but hey, they're responsible to God for that. You know, I I definitely don't want to be. Just not a a smart thing there. So it's not meant for selfish uh, uh, abuse. And it's never to give the world an excuse for it to be spoken of as evil. You know, um, if the world were to uh, look at Bible studies where kids were getting drunk, uh, what do you think? They'd say, man, I want to be a part of that church. Uh, no, actually, they probably wouldn't say that in most cases. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I'm not saying the church hasn't given the world opportunity to call us hypocrites at time, but uh, that that's definitely one of those things that uh, uh, would be used. Number two, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians eight eight, food does not commend us to God. For neither if we eat are we better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. Uh, so whole point being is it's not about food. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The word righteousness here, well, in Ephesians 6.14, therefore having, uh, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, I... Uh, when it, when it comes to the spiritual armor, uh, you've got uh, Fanny Crosby, I think, that says that you need to put each piece on with prayer and stuff like that. Uh, the reality is, is we have positional righteousness being in Christ Jesus. The more we walk with God, that positional righteousness ought to become practical righteousness, where the devil can't be pointing his finger at you every other second. Okay, And so righteousness is one of those things that ought to be growing in a person's life as they are getting closer to the kingdom. Uh, Philippians 1, 10 and 11 says that you may approve the things that are excellent. Now, how are you going to approve the things that are excellent? You're going to know this is what God thinks about this particular subject. This is what he thinks about that one. And you approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense, Till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is not unlike Romans twelve two. Don't be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you might prove, test, understand what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God in all of these areas. And in so doing, not only will you have God's face shining down to the help of his countenance, there you go, Pastor, I did it. Uh, <laughs> you'll also uh, be showing forth the world. This is what Christ looks like in a practical sense, okay? And uh, so that's righteousness. How about peace? Obviously, Galatians 5, 22, part of the fruit of the gospel. And in Romans uh, t- 12, 10 through 13, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, uh, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. If we all were to come together and have that kind of attitude toward one another, where's the conflict? It's not there. 
We're, we're encouraging one another. We're meeting one another's needs. We're preferring one another above ourselves, uh, that kind of thing. So you have peace. And then, of course, joy. Again, like peace, it's a product of righteousness. It's also a fruit of the Spirit. And in 1 Thessalonians 1, 6, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but very often when we think of trials, joy is not the first uh, thing that comes to mind. But one of the reasons why I chose verses on hope is very often we're looking at those trials from the perspective of my kingdom. When we're remembering we're part of God's kingdom and we're looking forward to our new home that Pastor was telling us about this morning, okay? Trial here, it's just not that big of a deal. Yeah, inconvenient, but not worth ruining my relationship with God over this thing, that kind of a thing. So uh, we have joy in the Holy Spirit. Number three, for he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Again, serving Christ here, basically when you look at Romans 14, 7 to 9, 2 Corinthians 5, 15, 5, 15 says, and that he died for all that they who live might not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him who died for them and rose again. Uh, because if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that's Romans 10, 9, and believe in your heart. See, the, this is a recognition. He is now the boss. So when we get to Romans 14, 7 to 9, whether we live, we live unto Christ. Or if we die, we die unto Christ. Because we're not our own, we live unto him. And so um, he who serves Christ is living unto God. And uh, notice he's also building on the foundation of Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, I meant to change that to 11. There's no other foundation anyone can lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures... In other words, he was serving Christ. He was walking in the power of the Spirit. He was living unto God, if you will. Um, He will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, whose kingdom was he living for at that point? His own, yeah. Uh, If anyone's uh, work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So that's basically what we're talking about when we're talking about if anyone serves Christ uh, in these things. We're, we're concerned about our, our brother, making sure we're not doing using our liberty and causing him to stumble, that you're going to be acceptable to God and approved by men. Uh, notice the word approved there is dokimos, acceptable, approved, tried. You might remember another place where this word is used, James 1.12. Uh, blessed is the man that endures trials. For when he's approved, he's going to receive the crown of life, which God has promised to all those who love him. Okay? Uh, number four, therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. So that's basically, the again, the conclusion in the sense of 
We don't want to cause someone to stumble. So even though we may have the liberty to do it, we're looking for, we want to be able to have peace with the other brother and not do anything that's going to cause him a problem. So that brings us to letter E, don't destroy the work of God, verses 20 and 21. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. I have a liberty to eat meat. And that meat that's being sold at the back part of the temple, it's a good price. You know how prices are these days. And uh, I'm going to go get me some. And if he doesn't like it, well, he just needs to grow up. And then he stumbles. He either buys some and eats it himself and then feels as though he's fallen away from God. Or he sits there in judgment of me because I blew it, as far as he's concerned. And spiritually, ends up being a Pharisee for a little while. Uh, I've caused problems. I've destroyed the work of God for the sake of food. The word destroy there is kataluo, uh, to loosen down, to disintegrate, to demolish, to halt for the night, destroy, dissolve, etc. Letter B, a command indicating that some were doing it. Uh, you might remember it's in 1 Corinthians. Oh, Wow. Well, 12, 13, 14 in there. Uh, he, he talks about um, love being the, the best gift, obviously. But, uh, well, another place where this idea would be in, in uh, 1 John two fifteen, where he says, Don't, do not love the world. The command form there, stop loving the world. In other words, some were loving the world. And he's having to correct them. That, that's the idea here. They're, they're doing it already, and that's why he has to command them to stop doing it. In the early church, food would have been a major issue. It relates to anything that's not sinful, that there may be varying opinions, as I've already pointed out. Again, 1 Corinthians 6, 12, and uh, 10, 23, all things are lawful. But notice, all th- things indeed are pure, for the one who is pure, but for the it is evil for the man who eats with offense. So, should you be doing any kind of evil? None whatsoever. Again, we go back to that conscience situation. Number two, it is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Again, First Corinthians eight. 13. That was on the previous page. There we go. Um, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. And again, I don't think he's saying he's never going to eat meat again. He's concerned about his brother. That brother may grow to the point where he can eat meat in front of him, no big deal, but then he's going to also be concerned about the next one. So if it means giving up all that meat, okay, we can do that. And then, of course, that brings us to uh, letter F. Don't denounce or flaunt your liberty. Uh, this is a pretty important point, okay? In that, he says, do you have faith? Do you believe it's okay for you to eat the meat that's been offered to an idol? That's the idea here, okay? Have it to yourself before God. In other words, you don't need to go around telling everybody, yeah, well, I had some of the meat that was been offered to that idol. I got a good deal on it, and, you know, you should too. You're welcome to eat that meat. You and God, have fun. It's not a problem, okay? Uh, But he goes on, happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. And again, it's not that, 
he's saying what I did was wrong and therefore it's okay. He's not concerned about that weaker brother. First uh, John 3.21 says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. If I believe that it's totally okay to eat that meat and uh, this is between me and God, it's cool. I, I'm not feeling condemned because, man, I didn't realize it caused my brother to stumble. That kind of a thing. Uh, notice number two, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. So in the context, a lot of people like to use this verse, if anything is not of faith, it's sin. Okay, true. But notice, all, all he's really saying is, if you don't believe you can do it, then you shouldn't do it. Uh, we go back to the story I told last week about the uh, converted Mormon. He used to be a Mormon. Mormons don't believe in drinking caffeine of any sort. Pastor even doubted my salvation this week because I use Folgers. But... Uh, <laughs> He thinks you got to use black rifle or something like that. But uh, Mormons don't drink caffeine. So here he gets saved, and now he's still hanging on to that idea. And he goes to work every day, and at 10 o'clock, they all have a coffee break. They're drinking soda. They're talking. They're having joke telling and stuff like that. And he wants to be a part of it, but he doesn't have a cup of coffee. So he feels as though, you know, tomorrow I'm going to go to work, and I'm going to get me a cup of that Coke. And I'm going to guzzle it down and be standing there with them and fellowshipping and, and just having a good time with them. And so he does. And then after he's had it, it's kind of like, oh, man, I sinned. I had Coke. And for those of you that like Pepsi, you might think that's a sin. I grew up on Coke, so it's not. <laughs> so um, he goes home and he tells his wife. And, of course, she's aghast. It is time to go in and talk to the, uh, the pastor. You need counseling. You need to repent. And so they go in and they talk to the pastor and, and the pastor says, okay, you sin. Now what do we do when we sin? We confess our sins. We're faithful and just. And so they go through that. And then afterwards, he starts teaching them why drinking caffeinated beverages is not sin. Well, if he believed that drinking caffeinated beverages wasn't sin, why did he have him confess it? Because he did it not having faith. And so it was sin for him. He was willing to rebel against God in his mind so that he could have this approval of people, fellowship with mankind, instead of doing what he believed was right. So that's the idea there. Look, if you feel as though you have the liberty, hallelujah. If you don't, don't violate what you believe. If you feel as though you need to study it more because someone else is doing it, then do that. And when you are free, you and God enjoy yourselves. But you don't need to be pushing it out there in front of everybody else either. Because again, you don't know who, whose toes you might step on in the process or cause to stumble. That kind of thing. All right, any questions or thoughts? Are you sorry that you did it? Or are you sorry that they were offended by it? Or... If it comes to your attention that you've caused your brother to stumble, it would be just like you sinned against him. You need to go and uh, seek uh, forgiveness. And then you might try and help them see where 
and you're not excusing yourself. The, the sin was not what you did. It was not being aware of their sensitivity, not being cautious enough and loving enough uh, to know that. And so you might spend some time getting to know that person a little bit better and then uh, through discipleship, helping them grow so that you can go back and eat meat. <laughs> whether, whether or not you ever get it there is another story. But yeah, if you've sinned against him, again, it's not what you did. It's the fact that... And now sometimes, you know, if you're not aware, well, you still recognize, okay, what I did caused a problem for you. And for that, I am sorry. I'm asking for forgiveness. And then let's talk about what I did. What, what does God say about these things? And we can come to a conclusion that we don't agree. That's okay, and I won't be doing it in front of you anymore. So, okay. All righty. Well, I don't know about you. Like I said in my prayer earlier, I really do believe that a lot of conflict in the church right here in chapter 14. Um, yes, there are those occasional conflicts where you just want to slap people's heads together, right, Pastor? But uh, because someone's arrogant or something like that. But uh, this is a major issue. Um, remember the first time we used drums here, uh, Pastor got ripped up one side and down the other because churches need to take a stand. And Pastor just finally said, we did. <laughs> And, and pointed the person to Romans 14, uh, because again, there is nothing evil in and of itself. Can the drums be used in a wrong way? Oh yeah, go to Africa. See some of the tribes that are still worshiping demons and stuff like that. Go to Suriname down in South America. Uh, but the reality is, is it's an instrument, just like a TV or a computer or any other thing. And so he strongly recommended that she take some time to study Romans 14. And uh, they got upset and left. And we didn't cause them to sin. They just believed that drums are sinful. Got angry. Maybe that caused them to sin. <laughs> so, all right, well, let's pray and we will let you go. Lord will and see you Wednesday night. Father, we thank you for the liberty that we have in Christ Jesus. We're supposed to stand fast in that liberty, but at the same time, uh, not use our liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but in love, serve one another. With that in mind, we recognize there are people that may not understand some things might be okay. Give us grace to develop the kind of relationships with our brothers and sisters in the church so that we don't cause someone to stumble. If we do cause someone to stumble, give us grace to be humble and, and deal with it accordingly. And Lord, we thank you that uh, we are saved, we are free, but in that freedom, give us grace to honor and glorify you in all that we say and do. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.